sometimes I uh, will say to people, um, and I'm not sure what the context is, but I'll just say, you know, I'm a normal guy. Huh? Or I'll say something like, yeah, well, pastors, you know, struggle with this too or something like that. And um, there's always a little bit of a, I think people sort of hold pastors up on a, on a pedestal a little bit, which is, which is a good thing. Um, yeah, but um, they're always kind of looking at me like, oh, okay, you know, like, oh, you're a normal, normal person. Now, some of you really know I'm a normal person, right, a regular person. And uh, I appreciate that. And I guess it's a neat thing. And it's an important thing. And um, as I was looking at the text of James today, uh, this, this week in particular, getting ready for this, this Sunday, I was thinking about James chapter 4, 1 and 2, where it talks about desires. You can see it there. It'll take a look at there in, in your, if you're following in the worship folder in your Bible. There's desires. I was thinking about these desires. And um, I think growing up, our girls uh, were never subject to being suddenly a part of illustrations in church. But uh, our oldest daughter, Aubrey, is here. And uh, I think she can, she can handle this illustration. Uh, pastor's kids are like these little illustrator machines, you know. And you've got to be very careful. You can't you, you do that too often. But this is what happened this week, and I'll tell you a little bit. So um, our daughter, Aubrey, was these two, Aubrey and her friend Hattie, have been having a good time. Hattie's a friend from college and seeing the island and busy, 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 all over the place doing lots of strenuous things. And a couple of days ago, they came back, and Aubrey was really, really tired, two in the afternoon, and wanted to take a nap. And so she, uh, she just rested on the couch, and uh, I'm there kind of working on a laptop and reading some James and thinking about my own heart and my own desires, and I'm wondering, am I, am I really in James chapter 4, 1 through 2, you know, uh, all these, these desires? And uh, it's interesting, <clears throat> something happened to me as a father in that moment. I really wanted our daughter to rest. And, uh, and it was a strange thing. Suddenly, there she is, sleeping on the couch in, in our living room. And uh, it just gripped my heart. Uh, fatherly instincts, perhaps, I hope. Um, but suddenly, I heard someone out in the carport banging, uh, making noise. Who's out there? Someone is in the kitchen uh, listening to a book on tape, kind of loud. Someone's walking around the house, and they have really heavy feet. And I, I, suddenly I'm aware of noise, like, like I've never, ever been aware of it. And, and, uh, and then the phone rings. And I, uh, I'm watching, my, I'm listening to my own heart. Isn't it interesting? And uh, what's going on? I have a bundle of desires uh, running around uh, in, my, in my heart. Desires are always working, thinking, uh, acting. My heart is active all the time. Your heart is active all the time. <clears throat> and suddenly I realized that my daughter who just, the desire to have a peaceful nap, this had become the king of my heart in, in just a matter of a few, few moments. Christian counselor uh, David Pallison writes, and, and I, I want to uh, give this up front, and I'll give it at the end, and then I would love for you to email me if you'd like this quote, you want to write it down now, but next week I want to make sure there are cards available for you for this quote, because I've got an idea for all of us related to this quote and, uh, and the struggles of our heart. So here it goes. Counselor David Pallison, uh, who grew up, grew up here in Lanikai, 
uh, said, uh, said this in an article. You will always desire, love, trust, believe, fear, obey, long for, value, pursue, hope, and serve something. That is the activity of your heart. You're pursuing something right now. We've talked about this as a church in many ways. You're valuing something. You're pursuing something. You're thinking on something, dwelling on it, fearing something, or wanting to obey. This is the activity of our heart. Interesting, the same day, uh, our daughter Amaris needed to be dropped off for Japan team. They're leaving. All right, eh, It's okay if we're 10 minutes late, 6 minutes late. Not that important. Well, we're driving down right here at the poly here. This uh, our lower road in the poly, and there's a crosswalk there. And uh, uh, we're on the way. We need to get there. And uh, it's, it's green. We can turn right. Well, even if it's red, we could turn right, right? There's someone walking in the crosswalk. But they're not walking. They're sauntering. <laughs> you know what sauntering is? That's what per- professional golfers on the, on the golf green, they saunter. Just kind of <laughs> just saunter. Have you ever seen someone in an airport saunter? They get run over, right? <laughs> you don't saunter in airports, and you do not. I, was, I don't know who trained me in this. Crosswalks, they're there as sort of a, a kind of a general gift to the public. That's a road, <clears throat> and the road was not built for you pedestrians. It's just kind of get through the crosswalk. It's really not a place to saunter. And I have crosswalk Righteousness. What this means is that I know how fast one is supposed to go. I will monitor your speed. And when you fail my test, I will feel it. I'll feel it. Sauntering is not a good thing. And I watched this person saunter for what felt like three hours. And I wondered, what on earth is going on inside me? They're a perfectly nice person. They're just walking in the way they think they ought to go. And I can't handle it. I can't handle it. That's strange. I can lose my sanctification so quickly. I have a daughter sleeping. Can't handle it. Someone walking across the crosswalk. Can't handle it. And then James comes along with these, these words. What causes quarrels and, 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 and causes fights among you? Is it the crosswalk person? Really? Hmm. Is it the noise coming out of the carport? No, James doesn't let you off that easy. Uh, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? It's not your, it's not your DNA. It's not how you were raised. It's not what you had or didn't have as a child. It's... It's nothing about the externals of your life that you can blame and say, this makes me do this. That is quite countercultural to the day where you live where our actions are explained by all sorts of things. Now, there's no doubt that influences are real. There's no doubt about that. Uh, shaping influences are very real, that's for sure. 
But in the final analysis, our response to something that is difficult, a desire that is frustrated, a uh, a timing on a crosswalk and and getting to a a destination on time, ultimately, it has nothing to do with whether or not I had a good breakfast. It has my, it's my heart. My heart is always loving, trusting, fearing, obeying, longing for something. And so the key battle is the battle of the heart. It is true for the one who preaches today and those who listen. It's true for us privately as individual Christians, and it is true for us corporately. We have a corporate heart as a church. And uh, we have to think about our hearts. Progress in the Christian life can be described as renewal. Not just private renewal, personal renewal, which is where it starts, but it also spills over to corporate renewal, how you are managing and growing in your heart responses affects everyone else and hopefully to, the, to, to good things, toward good things. So James uh, 4, 1 through 10, there's a lot of information, more than can be preached on in one particular sermon. But James 1 through 4 really starts off with tumultuous, warlike impulses, tumultuous, difficult things that are inside us. Uh, and then it ends peacefully around verse 9, 10. It, it ends with much more, much, much more hope, and it develops, and it grows, and there's a key transition coming up. Well, the key, the key subjects of this text are really conflicts, James 1 through 2. And, uh, and then con- conflicts open up a bigger uh, windshield, uh, a, a bigger vista, I should say, uh, to other subjects. So what's going on inside you, Christian? Uh, why are you having so, so many conflicts and, and difficulties? Uh, doesn't this describe your divided heart? You say something, you sing something on Sunday, but really your heart is here, and this is the dividedness. You're, you're divided, and James has some very, very hard things to say about Christian dividedness. It, it goes like this. It's sort of like the Christian heart is a, is a, a big contradiction, on Sunday, we will be reminded of how desperately we are in need of God's forgiveness, right? Yeah. But we live differently, you see. We, we, we proclaim something, but there's a, there's a big gap between what we say and how we actually live. We're, we're divided in that way. James is on to that. Number th- uh, so, so this divided heart is now shown as this text unfolds, chap, uh, verse 3 and 4, the divided heart then is shown uh, the call to faithful living before God. There's a transition. It comes with a rebuke, admonishment. It's, it's tough, but then there's a, a transition. What does faithful living look like? And then uh, sort of a realization starts developing in the Christian heart, uh, verses 5 and 6, uh, that God is at work within the Christian to produce singleness of heart. He's God's at work. And then uh, uh, verses 7 through 10, there's actually about 10 commands. 10 commands in verses 7 through 10. Uh, and that, that kind of wraps up our, our text. <clears throat> so I think I've covered the idea of conflicts. The, the first thing that we really would look, look at, just think in terms of applying this to our own lives today, is, is being able to monitor your heart. Uh, 
it's, it's very rare in, in, when people are arguing about something. It's very rare for someone to suddenly pause and go, hey, what's going on? We're arguing. It happens, but it's not that often. Most of the time, we're sort of stuck in our own position, right? It's like a trench warfare, right? And we're in our own trench. And then the, uh, the, the other person's in their trench, right? We're lobbing reasons and logic and, uh, you know, we're, lo- we're, we're going we're gonna to convince them, right? And, and what it is, it's, it, it is a kind of warring back and forth. And no one really pauses and says, hey, this is, this is sort of, why don't we just check our hearts here? Um, and, and really what's happening in conflict, that so much could be said here. This is just hours and hours of, of discussion on the subject of conflict. What's happening here is that the heart is, a, is sad. The heart wants something. See? The heart wants something. The, the heart doesn't like something that's going on. See, So I don't like the person... And their speed coming across the, the crosswalk. See, I don't like it. And so my heart is sad in that moment. And I want a pleasure. See what I'm saying? I want a crosswalk pleasure. I want to experience pleasure going down the poly highway. And there's a suggested, uh, uh, the state of Hawaii has, has prescribed uh, 35 miles an hour. And that's the, the zone in which my pleasure should exist. And I, I don't think that's very good. I don't think that's right. They don't understand my needs. So, uh, as, as Sammy Hagar said, I can't drive 55. So, um, uh, the heart, Pascal, uh, Blaise Pascal, French mathematician, philosopher, theologian, he said, that the heart cannot remain sad for very long. It wants pleasure. And so what happens inside us is we attach to evil desires and say, evil desires, I'm going to hook the wagon of my life onto you, and you bring me home. I know, officer, looked like I ran her over, but no, I, I didn't. I, I, no, I didn't. I was close. Uh, I realized I endangered a pedestrian, but uh, no, uh, You see, I wanted the desire of speed through that crosswalk. And it ruled my heart. And because I couldn't get the speed down the poly highway, the pleasure I wanted was frustrated and I was at war. See, Okay, so what James is doing is he's raising awareness in verses 1 and 2. Raising awareness. And I think if that was... One thing, by way of a discipline we would do, starting off each day, if it helps to do it at 1 p.m. in the afternoon, great. Check your heart. Raise awareness by yourself. Have yourself accountable to other people, your spouse, someone at work. How am I doing in these areas? I tend to react this way to these kind of circumstances. Monitor the heart. And then let's look at just some other areas of just the call to faithful living before God. Look at verse 3 and 4. You ask and do not receive. Oh, how frustrated you are. Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. These are Christian people. These are uh, folks attending worship services. And they are uh, coming to worship and they are asking. Uh, They're asking God certain things. So you see that in verse 3. They ask. But James says that they ask 
wrongly. Now, let me, let me give you a story of as a father. We've had a mom up here already with uh, her, her daughter, uh, Hannah, uh, Goda, Hannah Goda in Japan. Uh, our daughter, Amaris, is in Japan. And uh, here's how I might pray a prayer for uh, our daughter in, in Japan. Uh, the prayer will go like this. Lord, uh, open my daughter's eyes to the kingdom. Lord, open my daughter's eyes to your world. Help her find her way in this world. Have her, may she be safe. And, uh, and may, she, may she desire to serve you with all her heart at wherever it goes, whatever it leads to. Lord, she's yours anyway. Right? Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't you be impressed if I prayed that in church? Come on, give me some credit for something. All right. So, all right, I'll work on it. So, but do you know what my real, if you really press me? See, I'm not as pious as you think. What I mean by this is honest, deep honesty. What do I really want for my daughter? Oh, that white picket fence with a nice husband, a dog, maybe a cat. Peaceful life, beautiful life, safe life. So when I'm asking and praying to God, what is, it, what is it I'm doing that I'm asking wrongly? See, What I'm doing is I, I'm learning how to be eloquent, perhaps in front of people like you. But in the end, though, I haven't really aligned my heart with the real truth is that she was never mine to begin with. I cannot prescribe the kind of life she ought to have. She is God's. And it's hard for me as a fallen father to fully embrace that. And it has to be hard for all you parents. Your instincts are, I know what is best for my child. You see what I'm saying? And so even there with, with what we'd hope would be beautiful human love instincts for our own children, there we can find that even our motives still need to come under the gaze of God. And be rightly aligned. Also, let me ask you this. What do you envision about your life, really and truly? And it's right there that you have to say, Lord, and work this. Work it and keep going and keep after it. And you will not get it in one day. Keep going after it. Lord, I really want this out of life. And I know you're calling me to be open to this and to be available for this. Help me be aligned. Lest I be in friendship with the world. Let me tell you that the friend, I'm going to keep kind of milking this crosswalk illustration because it's in my mind, but can that be friendship with the world? That might sound really dramatic and almost too serious, but really friendship with the world can, can be partnering with efficiency, productivity, effectiveness, the church has been really influenced by the managerial revolution in, in the last 25 years. You don't need the gospel. You need a bigger parking lot to grow your church. That kind of stuff. And, and what I want to say is that James is now going to rock his audience with these words. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Look at verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know 
And again, where is this friendship coming from? It is the alignment with worldly standards of success. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? It's warlike bitterness. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, and he's sort of like creating a watershed moment, makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, quote, he yearns jealousy, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. It's the call to faithful living. James is waking up his audience. He's shaking them up with hard things. But he's asking them to think, where are you aligned in your heart? Now, we, won't, we need each other to, to figure that out. I need you to help me figure that out. We need our life together. But he's wanting a reaction from his crowd, from the audience. Where am I? What is my heart alignment? Where am I aligned? And then he leads to this idea that the spirit is in us and their theologians really cannot uh, figure this verse out so if you're frustrated with it uh, you're you're okay uh, is that the holy spirit in us or is that just our human spirit that is in us uh, that god already owns by creation and by redemption so there's a question about that but what whatever that phrase means spirit there the idea is that uh, god has divine jealousy, jealous, jealousy for our desires. Our desires are to be his. And uh, James is aware that uh, his audience needed to, to consider their desires. Um, and then there's a transition, a beautiful one. I'm ready for it. I think you are. Verse 6. But he gives more grace. Uh, I'm exposed as one who has been aligned with the world. And then he says, but he gives more grace. And it's from here the rest of this text now flows. God gives more grace. I'm a bundle of contradictions. I think you are. Uh, we're we're, We're a bunch of half hearted creatures. And God looks at us and he gives us more grace. I read this week this. The slightest lie about ourselves or about God, if admitted and believed, can be like a cloud which interrupts the sunshine of God's presence in our hearts. And James is driving the point, God is gracious to you. Even if you can admit your unfaithfulness to him, That does not repel him from you. John 11, the woman caught in adultery. Jesus asks a beautiful question. All her accusers have dropped their rocks and walked away. And he asks this question. Where are your accusers now? And she says, there are none, Lord. And he says, then neither do I accuse you. To one caught in faithlessness, Jesus has a supply of grace. 
And it is from this grace, then, that now new obedience flows. From grace, new obedience flows. And now this singleness of heart is described in 7 through 10. Singleness of heart. Not that double-mindedness. Not that praying one thing, but really meaning another thing. This, this singleness of heart. And there's really about ten commands that flow here from 7 to 10. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. This is verses 7 and verse 8. Cultivating a fellowship with God. Cultivating God's presence with you. Draw near to him. He'll draw near to you. It's an expression of, of the, the allegiance of your heart. And, and when, you, when you express the allegiance of your heart, the devil will, will flee. He will know that you, you have no partnership with him. And so the central battle of our, of our lives is drawing near to God. And of course, you, you feel like you should clean up your act, get your act together, uh, behave well enough, long enough, and then approach God. James doesn't say that. Draw near to God. He's given you more grace. And then this leads to to purification. Cleanse your hands, verse 8. The outer life is probably described here. Specific sins, things that we've done toward another person. Confess them to them. Be reconciled. The outer life, cleanse your hands. The inner life, purify your hearts, you double-minded, verse 8. Recognize the inconsistency. And who does these things? The energized Christian. The renewed Christian has been given new grace, unafraid, moving into new obedience. And so this big grasp of God's presence now moves to uh, grace-empowering obedience. Uh, Verse 9, be wretched. Verse uh, 9 continues, mourn, weep. Really, there's a a lamenting going on. It's probably a parallel to the second beatitude from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who mourn, right? Those who are their own self-accusers. It's okay. It's okay. Because they will be comforted. They will be comforted with something greater than their own righteousness. They'll be comforted with something greater than their own achievements. They'll be comforted with something that Jesus and he alone can supply. So this whole sense is that God is worthy. He owns me. I now am aware what my lips have done, my hands have done. My life has been serving. I've been double-minded. I see how I should serve God, and I lament. And so these are all really evidences that God is empowering a Christian. They're empowering a Christian. I think about our desires, and I think about how we were made in in Genesis 1 and 2. We were made, um, as human beings, we're we're really the lords of the earth, Uh, extensions of God's lordship, but we're like the pinnacle pinnacle of creation. Um, (laughs) And uh, we have instincts to rule. You have instincts to rule. Medical research that prevents a disease or cures a disease is an expression of that desire to rule. Um, Really, the desire to rule with Adam and Eve was unhindered before they fell in in sin. And so their motives were good. Uh, The things that they accomplished were good. Uh, They were never frustrated. 
What an amazing world. And that's a, the pre-fall world. And that, those instincts are still in you. Uh, the ideas you have to create something, to do something, that, that's, that's kind of how you were made. And the recovery to do things rightly, to do things well, to do things in a holy way, to do things aligned with God, the recovery is not easy. But it happens through faith and repentance, the means of grace. You are becoming human again. And the restoration may feel painful, but it is God's grace active in you through Jesus Christ, working at the level of your desires, of new desires. And so, let me wrap this up. Remember David Pallison? Here's the heart check. You always desire, love, trust, believe, fear, obey, long for, value, pursue, hope, and serve something. Take that with you tomorrow. Start your day. Lord, what grips my heart? What must I have? What's a ruling desire that is not of you? He will give you grace. James says he will give you more grace. To subdue those desires. To turn to him, submit to him, draw near to God. And from there will come and flow new loving desires, kingdom desires. It is all so, so good. May we become a church that's okay with this struggle, okay with these, this bundle of contradictions and impulses and desires that we are, and have gracious interactions with each other, understanding each other, and able, able to grow more to be single-minded and to experience the blessing of what that's about. Amen. Let's pray.